This is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. Please turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 2. Last week I preached a message entitled, Not My Problem. We walked through the first few verses of John, chapter 2, and we looked at actually the first 12 verses, where Jesus and his mother and some disciples show up at a wedding simply because they were invited. And I'm just kind of continuing this storyline, not really anything at all pertaining to last week. Other than, chronologically, it follows where Jesus was at in our discussion last week. And I want us to look at this passage beginning in chapter 13. What's taking place at this point is Jesus has left the wedding, and you can read that in verse 12. They went down to Capernaum. They stayed there a few days. Now the Passover has taken place. And I want to read this to you, and then I'm going to tell you a little bit kind of about what's on my heart. Verse 13, I'm reading out the English Standard Version today. It says that the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords. Can you picture this? We picture Jesus as this humble, quiet, peaceful, well put together feller. But making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple. With the sheep and the oxen. He poured out the coins of the money changers and he overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, your translation might say doves. He said, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade or a marketplace. It says, his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. My thought for today, if I could sum it up into one question that we walk out of here today with, is where's the zeal? Where's the zeal? I've got a short video that I want you to watch. It's a song. Maybe you've heard it on the radio. I'll be honest. When I heard it the first time a couple weeks ago, I sat and I cried. Because I believe this really kind of puts us in a place that if we listen to the words and we hear the heart of the message of the song, it should really make us question some motives and question where our heart is and make us ask the question, where's the zeal? So watch this short video. Mark Hall, who wrote that song, who you saw singing that song. He's got a couple teachings revolving around it, and there's a couple things I want to tell you that he said. He's a youth pastor, which is interesting if you didn't know that. The leader of Casting Crowns that has been around for years and years and years as a youth pastor, Sunday through Wednesday, he serves at his church, pours into young people, and then travels Thursday through Saturday. 
to even be able to accomplish that. It's an amazing thing. But it also brings some context of where he's coming from writing this song. He knows ministry. He knows the church. And he said, some things bother me that these are some things I don't hear anymore. I don't hear that I want to start a ministry that pours in to kids. Instead, I hear I want to find a church that's got a strong kids ministry. He said, you don't hear somebody say, I want to see my church awaken in its worship. And it's going to lead, uh, it's going to start with me leading that move of worship. Instead, you hear somebody say, I want to find a church with passionate worship. He said, we're more and more comfortable for the few on the inside. Rather than taking those few and making them uncomfortable by going to the outside. He said, a sign that should tell us that we've gotten to this place of comfort is when lost people sinning make us mad. A sign that should make us stop and realize we're too comfortable is when we get angry at the lost for sinning. First of all, do you realize how dumb that makes us sound? To know that we're and we'll be open and honest and transparent. You need to be with yourself. I'll be with me. There's times we find ourselves angry because people aren't doing what they're supposed to do or they're not acting a certain way that we think they should act. And we're good at telling them that. And we're angry because lost are sinning. I've been very humbled. I wrestled with this all week long. I even wrestled with it last night in my sleep because I, I've gone to this passage and when I read this passage, it's like it has resounded with me over and over. You need some backstory. Jesus shows up for the Passover and he's there and he's walking through and they made this journey and it really wasn't a very far journey from Capernaum to Jerusalem where they were at, about a 20 mile. It probably was a peaceful journey. I don't know, but it wasn't like this really long major over undertaking that they took they show up and jesus goes to the temple and there's all of a sudden he sees these vendors if you will set up around the temple you need to understand how the temple is designed it's it's designed in layers from an outside almost like if you took a target <coughs> excuse me you take a target and <coughs> devil you're a liar you got an outside ring and it starts working its way inside if you're going to picture that, the innermost place is the holy of holies. The next place would be the, the place for the next class of society that could, could go in and they could get a little closer. There's a place for the Israelites. Then there's uh, the court of women, if you will. And the outer court is the court of the Gentiles. And so Jesus shows up and he, he sees this vendor. And I, I can picture it, maybe your mind's eye don't work like mine, but it's almost like a street fair taking place, except it's taking place at the temple. The house of prayer, the place that's supposed to be about prayer, they're showing up, Jesus shows up and, and there's these vendors. Well, you need to, to kind of have a little backstory under the fact that there's people that have come from Galilee all the way to Jerusalem, which is about a 90-mile journey. 
They're pilgrims, okay? They've showed up for this Passover feast. They've showed up to celebrate. They've showed up to remember the Passover, which is where Jesus saved the Israelite people way back in Egypt when the plague come through. He saved them, and they're, they're celebrating this. They're remembering their freedom. They're remembering what God did for them. And I don't know about you, but a 90-mile journey, I really don't care to bring my, my oxen or my cows and my sheep and my doves along with me on this 90-mile journey to sacrifice to you. No. So it wasn't unheard of, and it really wasn't even out of place that you actually could go and buy an animal for sacrifice to take to the temple and sacrifice on the altar. It really was not a thing that was wrong. It wasn't a thing that, that didn't need to be done. The problem was what had taken place is Jesus showed up, and they've made it much more about purchasing the sacrifice than it is about the sacrifice itself. It's something that should have taken place and it's believed to have taken place in times prior in the town, the town square, in the market square, the place where buying and trading actually took place. And now instead of it being there, they've taken that and they've moved it to the temple to make it more convenient and more comfortable and a little easier for somebody to show up and purchase a sacrifice. There was a certain currency that had to be given when you went to the temple and you paid your temple dues. Basically, we bring tithe and offering into the storehouse. There's a certain currency. We really don't care. We take cash. We take card. We take check. It really doesn't matter to us. You want to give some gift cards, that's okay too. But they took a certain currency. I'm joking. Would you laugh with me? They took a certain currency. And so people traveling in from other places had to go through and do a, a currency exchange to pay their dues to the temple. Should have been simple. It should have been cut and dry. It should have been easy. If you ever traveled out of the country, you know that you are very wise to go to your financial institution, your bank, and exchange your money rather than wait until you get to the airport. If you've never done that, the exchange rate and the fees that are involved, your local awesome great st uh, local state federal uh, state employees credit union will give you a much 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 better rate. Even that a little bit high dollar BB and T, they'll still give you a much much better rate than you can get if you go to the airport to try to exchange this money. Because the airport knows you showed up, you're getting on a plane, you can't go back out the door now, and you need this currency exchange. And so these money changers are set up. That's what we're talking about. The money changers, the, the people that are there that Jesus goes in and throws their money everywhere. That's what they're doing. They're exchanging currency for people to go in and make their sacrifice. But what they're doing is they're taking advantage of the pilgrim that's traveled 90 miles that needs to exchange some of this. And they're saying, nah, if you're going to come in to this house and you're going to worship this way and you want to come in and get God's blessings, then you got to pay us to receive from that. You with me? This is heavy for me. This is harsh. Because it's so close to home. And Jesus shows up and he goes in and he, he, he makes a whip. You, you ever thought about the fact, how many of you believe that Jesus came to bring peace? We think that. But you read just in Scripture a little bit, and he says, actually, I didn't come to bring peace, but I came to bring division, to divide the, the good and the bad. I came to, and so here's a perfectly fine example of Jesus showing up in the temple, and it says that he made this whip of cords, a scourge, a whip. He made it. He wove it together, and he starts going in, and I started to bring a table in here and throw it, but I didn't think it would go very good. He starts throwing tables. 
He took the money changers. He slung their, their buckets of money off. The coins go everywhere. He starts driving out the sheep and the oxen. And even though he's Jesus, he's man, and the pigeons and doves are in a cage, he said, take them out. I'm not driving them out. He said, take them out of here. Get them out. You've turned my father's house into a marketplace. You've commercialized it to the point that it's no longer about prayer, it's no longer about the worship, but you're consumed with how much money you can bring Jerusalem by, by charging people over prices for their, their, their sacrifices, by charging people these extraordinary prices for their money changing. And as he's walking through, I can imagine, because I think the disciples probably have the same mindset that we do when we think Jesus is peaceful and calm and cool and collected. He just changed water into wine for this beautiful wedding feast. And they stand back and they're like, what in the world is happening right now? And then all of a sudden they remember, zeal for my father's house will consume him. Psalm 69.9 is where that was written in scripture. The disciples knew scripture. Just because the New Testament hadn't been written yet didn't mean they didn't know scripture. Psalm 69.9 says, Zeal for his father's house will consume him. And they were all of a sudden checked. As they're watching Jesus go through a clean house in the temple. And they remembered that zeal. In the Greek, it's zealos. In the Hebrew, which was original, it's kenah. Not that any of that is important to you. The point is, it's an adoration, a jealousy, a zealous, a zealous heart. The, the commentators relate that word to one that a husband would have over his wife. He adorns her. He's jealous over her. He's, he's zealous. He has zeal for her, a passion for her. And Jesus walks in the door, and that passion overtakes him. And he was angry, but sinned not. But he was angry in a way that he cleans house. Three thoughts really quick of what was taking place. First of all, they devalued the house. They devalued, what does that mean? Well, they cheapened it. Took the value away from it. This is a temple that had been built. It had taken years. It was this extraordinary place of worship, this house of worship. And it really wasn't about the fact that it was the house, the physical building of worship, but they took what it stood for. They took what it was meant to be. They took the place that, that was supposed to house the presence of God, and they devalued it to the point of making it what they wanted it to be. They had made it more convenient. They had made it more comfortable. For instance, I'll just be honest with you, we put a heater in the baptism pool because last time we did baptisms, it was cold. Anything wrong with that? No. You go back and watch some of the videos Mark talked about about the video I just showed you. He said, I'm, I'm a youth pastor at a church that we put our worship lyrics on a screen. We got coffee in the lobby. The problem is not those things that are taking place. The problem is we've been consumed by those things as a church. And if we're not careful, we're missing the whole fact that we've devalued the house. They devalued the house. Not only did they devalue the house, number two, they devalued the worship. There were people that their job, their career was made out of growing animals to sacrifice. 
Growing it, it's like Sanderson Farms. I've seen tons of chicken trucks this week. They're li- I, I watch the chickens drive by, and I kind of feel bad because it's like you were hatched and born and raised up and put in that crate to be killed. Now go enjoy your fried chicken after church today. And so here's these people that have made this career out of growing sacrifices and overcharging people And not only overcharging, but they've made it so that the pilgrims that are coming in just own their way in the door. It's almost like if we could have given you a punch card as you walked in the door today. We punched you off. I love McDonald's. I I buy five coffees, get one free. We punch it every time you come in the door. There's your punch card. You did worship today. You showed up at the fifth Sunday. Oh, God's going to give you a blessing. He's going to give you a miracle. Wouldn't that be great if that's how this worked? But it's not how it works. But yet that's still how we treat it. That I can show up and get my punch card punched and I do that so many times and maybe I even give to the church or I give my tithe or maybe I do something nice for somebody and I show up here on Sunday, I might even slip up my hand and worship a little bit and that's a punch card, a punch being punched in my punch card and it's like all of a sudden we get enough of those, get five and get one free. And that's the mindset that was taking place with these, these people that were offering the sacrifices of cows and sheep and pigeons. I've made it easier for you to show up on your way walking in the door to the temple. I don't care what you dealt with, what you had behind you. I don't care what, how you cussed your kids out on the way to the temple. It really doesn't matter because on your way in, you can grab that sacrifice, put a smile on your face, and go slaughter him on the altar. And we've missed it. And Jesus said, I'm fed up with it. I don't know about you, but I don't want Jesus coming after me with a whip, driving me out of the house. They devalued the house, they devalued the worship, and they devalued, thirdly, prayer. Mark said, Mark recorded Jesus saying, my father's house is a house of prayer. John said, you've made my father's house a marketplace. Somewhere along the lines, and when you read the other three gospels versus John, it's believed there was probably two different instances where this took place. John records it early in Jesus' ministry. Matthew, Mark, and Luke record it toward the end of Jesus' ministry. It's believed there were probably two. So we're looking at two different scenarios. Jesus said, my father's house should be a house of prayer, but you've come in as a den of thieves. John said, you've made my father's house a marketplace. You've made it the place where people are buying and selling. It's more about you making money. It's more about you benefiting yourself, consuming and building up yourself than it is about God moving and people doing something on the outside. They devalued the house. They devalued the worship. They devalued the prayer. It's very easy to be distracted from prayer. It's extremely easy to be distracted from prayer. I really don't know that I have this clinical issue, but when I sit down to do a devotion, something can crawl across the floor, and my mind has gone off 50 million directions, not even on that bug. All it had to do was turn my head and get me distracted from where I was, and I'm gone. Mike and I lay in the bed and try to do a devotion at night. I can be wide awake until I lay down. Even laying there, no problem whatsoever. Till my little YouVersion Bible app pops up, I go to our reading plan and I start reading. I yawn fifteen hundred times trying to read our devotion. It's so easy to be distracted. Our problem is when we're distracted, we quit. 
We don't keep going. We don't push through the distraction. Realistically, I love you, and I don't mean to say anything out of the way, but for some people, what we did earlier was uncomfortable. The uncomfortable part was when we just stood here and nobody was saying anything. It was, and it is. You think that comes from the Lord? No. You're in the Father's house. The Holy Spirit was just moving, stirring in some people's life, and the enemy realistically was uh, was able to distract us and for some of us, it become uncomfortable just because we really weren't engaged and didn't know what was going on. And that's okay. I'm just saying how easy it is to be distracted. And so when we get distracted, we quit. I've been in church services in those kind of times when, Lord, when's this ever going to stop? They've done this song 500 times. I'm tired of hearing it. What in the world is that so-and-so doing over there? Quit, quit picking your nose. And in that moment, I missed the blessing I was supposed to get from the Lord. The devil used so-and-so-and-so picking a booger to distract me from a blessing. If I didn't say things like that, y'all would sleep. Things like that are what make me an effective communicator. Just being honest. I've been practicing this for a long time. I've learned to just say really dumb stuff to make people laugh and wake up. See? Jesus is ticked off. But as much as he's ticked off, he's broken. And the disciples all of a sudden realize, I love that line. And that's where this whole heart comes from, is where is the zeal? Because Jesus had enough passion for the house. He recognized it had been cheapened. He recognized the worship had been cheapened. It was easy. Throw $5 at the cow, you get to sacrifice, go in and slaughter them, and your sins are supposed to be forgiven. That's baloney. Because how you walked up to the temple actually matters in the way that you sacrifice. What happened before you walked in the door to get your punch card punched actually mattered. I'm not talking about an issue of forgiveness and grace. Of course that's there. That's not what I'm talking about. We're Christians. I'm talking to the church. Mark Hall said, the only thing that God said about the lost people was that they needed to be saved. Right? He said a ton about the church. I'm not talking about an issue of salvation and and, and being lost. I'm talking about the issue of we claim to be the church. We're supposed to be disciples of Jesus. Yet, we live in this way throughout the week, and maybe not we, maybe we look at the church in general. Who in the world knows? President Trump got coronavirus this week, and it was amazing to me, the pastors and the people that claim to be disciples of Jesus that were bashing him rather than praying for him. There's a much bigger issue than the president having coronavirus if we can't pray for a man that's sick. I don't care whether you agree with him or not. I don't care whether you agree with me talking about people picking their boogers. If I get sick, you're called to pray. You're claiming to be a disciple. No matter whether I like it or not. And so here we are seeing this division. We're seeing people. I talked to somebody this week, and I said I won't go and mess up my table. But it's like God, oops, that was open. 
It's like God is taking and he's shaking us. Listen, stay with me. I don't care if there's water on there. We're about to baptize somebody in a minute. They're going to be wet anyway. It's like he's shaking the tree. And me and you are fruit. I've been loving this muscadine grape season. I showed up at, at Mr. Tommy and Miss Donna's house one day. There weren't nobody there, and I went and stole their muscadines. And you know what happened? Whenever I shook that vine, the dead, rotted ones, the ones that were no good, the ones that didn't have life in them anymore, they fell to the ground. And God's taking it. He's shaking the church, and he's watching all the dead, no good, messed up, broken down, claim to be disciples that are called the church, and he's shaking them, and they're hitting the ground. And when all this shaking stops, what's going to be left is good quality fruit. I don't want to hit the ground. And so here we are. If we're not careful, maybe not this church. I'm not going to be so naive. I told you, I wept over this video. I've wept over this message. I believe we're devaluing the house. I believe we're devaluing the worship, and we're devaluing the prayer. When was the last time we were able to stay in these altars for an hour and it not feel awkward? I've been here two and a half years, and I can't name you one. I'm just being real. If it comes to an end, it comes to an end. I'm just going to be honest. I've been broken. I've wept. I sat there and wept again when I listened to this song. And it ain't about the song. It's the point. The prodigal son, if you don't know the story, that's okay. There was this man who had two sons. One said, Daddy, I want my inheritance. He went and blowed it, partied it, did all this other junk, then come back broken. He shows back up, and the good son who stayed, he's like, what the world's going on, Dad? I've been here the whole time. I never left you. He said, son, everything I have is yours. Shut up and go on about your business. But his heart was just as dead as the one that left and came back. And here we are as the church. And we're mad. We're ticked off because sinners are sinning. And here we are just as dead hearted if we're not careful as that one out there that's doing that. Jesus drove them out you remember in March every church in the United States of A was drove out of their building you with me for months we were told not to have church I'm not this is not a This is not a conversation for you and I to have about whether we were to submit to governmental authority. The point was, there was people that were sick. And it was wise for us, at least for a time, to not have church. And I can't help but think, with my wet sleeping Bible and everything, that it was God shaking. You realize, Lord help me, this might be my last day. There's faces that don't show back up after the shaking. For whatever reason, they don't need to be here because they're sick. That's one thing. Don't miss, hear my heart. But there's some that found it convenient to get that devalued worship and the devalued prayer and they devalued the purpose in the heart of the house where the presence resides and it's easier to stay at home. You understand why this is heavy? It's about as bad as me trying to whoop my kids. I'm trying to whoop nobody. It's my job to deliver truth. That's all I'm doing. 
Jesus wasn't pleased with the way they treated the temple. And I just have to wonder, where is our zeal? Let me take this thing back up the hill. Now that I brought you down to the dumps. Soak my Bible, pick boogers and everything else. Here's the thing. The Father's house is a place of restoration. It's a place of restoration. It's a place of hope. Another song that brought me to my knees that I sobbed over is one called The Father's House. Because I can check my shame at the door. Failure doesn't define me. Only my God can do that. This is the Father's house. And the same way that Jesus had zeal and passion for the Father's house and all the junk was driven out, it was a place that was wide open for the broken and the hurting to come in. And so here's what what I see. I see a church, not just our, I'm talking about the church of Jesus Christ. People that are ticked off because of things happen in our society, but we don't know how to fix it. I see a church that's taking up space in the Father's house with devalued worship and devalued prayer so that there's no space for people to come into the Father's house to find hope and healing. You with me? So where's our zeal? I know it was a Debbie Downer kind of thing there for a little while. The point is, if I had that kind of zeal to let God open my eyes and recognize how the house has been devalued, to recognize how my worship has been devalued, to recognize how my prayer has been devalued to a roach crawling across the floor and I'm completely checked out. I was in a conversation a couple weeks ago. I'm in a class with people all around the globe. And it makes me almost jealous to hear conversations from people in India and Africa. People that have got descents from from all England. And they're watching God perform miracles in front of them. People that that limbs are, are growing back. They're seeing dead be raised. They're seeing all this crazy stuff take place in front of them. Yet here we are as the Western Church of the United States of America who won't even hardly show up for church. You're here. I'm proud of you. Yesterday or last Sunday was our highest number till we started back. Praise God. Please don't mishear my heart. What are we doing? Why are we not tapping into that power and that authority? Why can't we tap into that to see God perform miraculous signs and wonders in front of us? Prayer works. I told you that earlier. I stand behind that 100%. We've prayed. But we have a hard time tarrying, waiting, and just kind of sitting and letting God move. If I keep you to 1 o'clock today, you're going to be mad. We've lost the zeal. The passion for the house, for the presence of God is constantly moving. Sure, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God is residing in you. The power can move within you. But there is power within numbers. 
when we as hot burning coals on fire for the Lord come together, that fire burns hot. It burns much, much, much hotter than one little ember off by its, by its side. We need to be together. We need each other. But we better bring some value back to our worship and to our prayer. Because when I've got the kind of passion to recognize the things that are wrong, I'm not talking about calls in discord. I'm talking about when I figure out how to spiritually fight my battles of the things that are wrong in the body of Christ. When I can't, when I've got that kind of zeal, then that same zeal is what attracts people into the house. That's the same zeal that lets me go and say, I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what you're going through. I just want to love you. I want to care about you. I want to bless you. Let me just invite you to the Father's house. I hate to tell you, people don't want to show up to the Father's house when it's full of, of money changers and full of people that are trying to sell cheap sacrifices. Coffee in the lobby is a great thing. I ain't got no issue with that. Lord willing, one day we'll be able to have it back. That's not the problem. The problem in the coffee, the problem in the, is in the screens. The problem is that we value that to a place that we've cheapened the worship and the prayer. There's no substitution for the move of the Holy Spirit. Father, Lord, I've done my very best today to deliver this thought, deliver what I believe is your heart out of this passage of Scripture. Lord, I believe that God is using, I believe you're using Mark Hall in this song that he wrote with a couple others to really challenge and sober the church, to really make us question our motives and make us just turn around and, and look inward to realize that what we're wanting, what we're asking for starts within us. It starts with me. It starts with me making a difference. With me asking the hard questions. With me seeking out a vision for my life. God, a ministry for my personal life. Each one of us in here have a place. We've all got a purpose. We've all got something to do for the kingdom. And this turns the tables so that we look inward on us. I don't have to focus on the people that are outside. I don't have to focus on the way that, that the sinners are sinning, Lord. I need to focus on me and the light that I can be so that when I walk into that place of darkness, I bring light. God, we've devalued your house. We've devalued your worship. And we've devalued prayer. God, let us have a turn of heart today. I don't have the answers, Lord. You do. I don't have the answers to know how we fix our issues. You do. God, but I'm smart enough to know that the only reason I, the only way that I hear from you <laughs> is by spending time with you in prayer. Family, I know we got an agenda today. I know we've got things to do. But I want to ask you, this has resonated with you any at all and you want to help be the change of what the church is what people believe of the body of believers you're ready to look in the mirror and step 
in front of that mirror and look deep inside yourself so that we can make an impact. We're going to social distance. But I want to ask you if this has moved you. As a church, could we accept the challenge today just to ask the question, where's the zeal? Father, we're here. We're here. No answers. God, not our way, but your way. Not our will, but your will. I want us to take this time and do two specific things. First of all, I want us to repent for what we've made the temple, what we've made the house of God, what we've made ourselves as the church. And number two, I want us to ask for the zeal. Where's the zeal? Where's it at? In your own way, we are putting value back in prayer in this moment. That is what you're doing. We are putting value in prayer. Would you take a moment and ask the Lord to forgive us as a church? His word tells us, you read it earlier, if my people, my people, that's the church. That's not talking to the sinners. That's talking to the church. Would humble themselves, drop their pride, and they would pray and seek my face. Then I would come and I'd hear them and I'd heal their land. Father, we've sinned. As a church body, the church of Jesus, disciples, Lord, we've lost the vision. We've lost what it is that you've called us to do. We've lost the heart, the zeal for the Father's house. We've lost the zeal for those that are broken and those that are lost. God, we've lost the zeal for pure worship. Not cheapened worship, not trying to get a punch card punched on our way in the door or on our way to an altar, Lord. Not, not the cheap worship. We've lost the value of worship. God, we've abandoned prayer. We've devalued prayer. We've lost the importance, the value of prayer, seeking your face. Seeking you first above all else. Seeking first the kingdom of God. Lord, the things that we're seeking will be added to us, Lord, as we seek your kingdom, as we seek your face. Forgive us, God. We're humbled today. We stand before you in humility. Asking for your forgiveness. And Lord, today as we leave here in just a little bit, God, I pray we leave with a burning challenge on our heart. Where's my zeal? Where's my passion? Where's my passion to be fed up, to be tired of the way things are, and to be, to be zealous? Where's my zeal, my passion for people that are broken, that are hurt, that need, to be, that need to be changed? Where's my passion for them to come in? Where's my passion for those people to see those people, to be a light for those people, to be an example for those people? Where's my zeal, God? Lord, fill us with your passion today. Fill us with your zeal. We want to be like Jesus. If it means that it's violent enough that we, we, we braid a whip and we run out the things that want to take up the Father's house so that new can come in, Lord, give us the zeal. Give us the passion. Father, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, thank you, Lord. 
Amen and amen.